Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship on this first Sunday of August. Uh, I want you to know that our board met this past week, uh, had a very long conversation about a number of things. We heard about the safety protocols that are being put in place for our preschool to reopen. Uh, We got an update on our construction project, which continues to move forward. It's very exciting to see. Uh, We made the decision that for the next few weeks, we're gonna continue with uh, our online service and our drive-in service. And then starting on Sunday, uh, August the 23rd, uh, we will add a socially distant uh, sanctuary service at 1015 uh, here in the sanctuary uh, with safety protocols, masks required, and uh, Rich Sanderson has a team that's been working hard on making sure that that will be a safe worship option. Um, Continue to pray for uh, Tolu Quinn, uh, the Quinn and Schuyler families. Uh, Would you join me as we begin in prayer? Loving God, open our hearts and minds to hear a word from you, and may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past Tuesday morning, I woke up on my birthday, and Megan said, you might want to look out the window into the front yard. And so I did. I looked out into the front yard and I saw yellow caution tape that had been wrapped around every tree and every bush and my car uh, all over the place. And then there was a sign in the middle that said, happy 40th birthday. Well, after I asked who was responsible for it, uh, my first thought that came to mind was somebody should have wrapped 2020 in yellow caution tape. Caution, there's going to be a pandemic. Caution, many people are going to get very sick and thousands will die. Caution, the economy is going to shut down. The stock market will be all over the place. Caution, there's going to be a lot of violence and racial tension. Caution, your kids will be homeschooled and you will become a teacher. Caution, there's going to be riots in the streets. Caution, this is going to be a rough year, so buckle up. But of course, nobody did that. And we lived into 2020 not knowing what it had in store. And here we are, the first Sunday of August, still living in to an unprecedented time. I don't know where you are right now as we begin this new month. This is still a a time unlike any we've ever seen before. And I have to tell you that I get the sense, generally speaking, that there are many people in our culture and in our community who are not doing very well. Mentally, emotionally, they're tired, they're afraid, they're irritable, they're anxious, they're on edge, they're worried. But still, the virus continues to spread and life continues to be disrupted. Nothing 
really feels normal. One of the most difficult things for us to deal with as human beings is uncertainty. Not knowing what's going to happen. Not knowing what tomorrow or next week or next month has in store. But I'll repeat these words of Jesus from Luke chapter 12 that we read last week and reflected upon last week where he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. But still in the midst of this pandemic and everything that's been upended, everything that's been affected, we worry. We worry because we don't have control and sometimes we just don't know what else to do. We can't seem to get grounded. Everything has changed and it doesn't feel like it's going to change back anytime soon. And that's hard. That's hard on every single one of us. In the Gospels, Jesus' core teachings are about the kingdom of God and what it is and how we can be a part of it and understand it. And to illustrate the kingdom, Jesus used many different parables or short stories to give us illustrations, to enlighten us, to help us to understand what he's talking about. Well, in Luke chapter 14, we have what is called the parable of the great dinner. He says the kingdom of God could be compared to somebody who threw a great dinner and invited many people. But when the time came for the dinner, they all began to make excuses as to why they could not come. The first one said, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and, and see it, so please accept my regrets. Another person said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. Please accept my regrets. And then when the slave reported back to the master that all the folks who had been invited had canceled on the dinner, he got angry and he said, go out into the streets and find anybody that you can bring. Bring the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, and bring them to dinner. For I tell you that none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Have you ever noticed that people are really good at doing the things in life that they want to do? But they're also really good at making excuses when they don't want to do something. Put another way, people will move heaven and earth to show up for and participate in things that they want to do, but if it's not something that's important to them, if it's not something that's a priority, they will come up with all kinds of excuses as to why they can't be there. Now, some people say this about COVID. They say, you know, if they want to do it, they do it. But then if they 
don't want to do it. They say, I can't do it because of COVID. You've heard that, you've heard people say that, and many people use that as uh, an excuse sometimes. Um, and we've all seen that happen. But we are living in a pandemic and many people are sick and this virus is very contagious and we do have to be careful. So this may not be uh, the same thing as when life was normal and people made excuses as to why they couldn't show up or why they couldn't be present. But I do think that this is true when it comes to our faith and to our spiritual life. You know, over the past few months, I've had so many people tell me, I'm really having a hard time right now with my faith and my spiritual practice. There's been so much bad news. So much is happening. Everything seems to be so up in the air. I just don't feel grounded right now. And I always respond by saying, well, what are you doing to address that? What are you doing to make it better? What are you doing to become more grounded? Prayer, worship, reading the Bible, joining a small group. What is Jesus trying to tell us in this parable? I think there are some basic lessons that we can learn about the kingdom of God and that we can apply to our own lives right now. The first lesson is this, presence, with a C-E, presence is important. You know, Woodmont has been a healthy church for over 77 years because people have showed up. Not only have they shown up, but they've gotten involved and they've connected and they've supported this church with their time and their talent and their treasure. They've provided leadership and vision and energy and passion. The church happens in a community and a community only happens when we show up. But right now showing up looks a lot different than it did five months ago. The people in this parable who have been invited to the dinner make all kinds of excuses as to why they can't come. And to be completely honest with you, we live in an age where we are all very good at making excuses as to why we can't do many of the things that we don't want to do, even if we know they are things that we should do. Why we don't have time for God, for faith, for prayer, for spiritual growth. Business gets in the way. Hobbies get in the way. Travel gets in the way. Friendships get in the way. Family life can get in the way. Leisure gets in the way. COVID gets in the way. We all have reasons and many times excuses why we can't or don't do the things that we should be doing. What does Paul say in Romans? I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Isn't that a nice summary of the human condition? The people in this parable who had been invited to the dinner had lots of excuses as to why they couldn't come. There's a guy named Matthew Kelly 
He's a Catholic author and speaker. And a number of years ago, before I came to Nashville, when I was doing uh, young adult ministry in New York and then in, in Memphis, uh, I got a copy of, of his book that's called The Rhythm of Life. And in the book, Kelly says, the world is full of men, women, and others, children who work too much, sleep too little, hardly ever exercise, eat poorly and are always struggling or failing to find adequate time to spend with their families. We are in a perpetual hurry, he says, constantly rushing from one activity to another with little understanding of where all this activity is leading us. He says, we're too busy for our own good. We need to slow down because sometimes our lifestyles are destroying us. Well, the past four or five months, we've had a forced slowdown. Some people have liked it, other people haven't. Some people have dealt well with it, other people haven't. Technology, emails, text messaging, Facebook, these things are supposed to make our lives easier, but sometimes it does the opposite. Sometimes it runs our lives, dominates our lives, and then what gets pushed back or pushed out is time to pray, time to reflect, time to grow, time to be still, time to connect with God, and time to enjoy this beautiful gift that we call life even with all of its heartache and disappointments. Showing up is important, not just for church, but showing up for life in general, being truly present with the people that we are around, listening to them, appreciating them, loving them, not taking a single moment for granted you know, many of us have been reading Toulouse's uh, Caring Bridge, where there are updates posted about uh, her condition and what's going on. But a day or so before her surgery, she put a beautiful post on the Caring Bridge, and this is what it said. It said, my daughter Lula and I took a walk together last night, both of us wearing our bathrobes. We talked about cancer and surgery and my upcoming days where I'd be away from home and at the hospital. I cried the whole time that we walked and I wiped away the tears and sweat with my mask. We talked about how love never ends. Then we saw an enormous female deer come up from the creek, strong-bodied, she crossed through the yard in front of us and disappeared into the evening. The picture is emerging. Dying like this and facing this fatal diagnosis will be the greatest gifts for all the days that I have left to live. Do we show up in life? Do we pay attention? Are we present? A second lesson from the parable of the great dinner is that hospitality and welcome is essential to the gospel. As a church, our very first core value 
And our core values are based on the word Woodmont. Our very first core value is that we are a welcoming church. And I love what my friend Pete Wilson used to say when he was at Crosspoint for all those years. He, he used to say this mantra. He said, everybody is welcome because nobody is perfect. Let me say that again. Everybody is welcome because nobody is perfect. I have my faults. You have your faults. It's part of being human. Nobody is perfect. You know, anybody who thinks that they are perfect is a narcissist. Anybody who thinks that they are never wrong has problems. Alex Ryerson, few years ago told me that on the side of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City, which is where he and Polly and the family went before they moved to Nashville, on the side of that beautiful church are the following words, this is God's house, everybody is welcome. Hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus said, whoever welcomes a stranger in my name welcomes me. Suwannee New Testament scholar Bill Brosend, who I quoted last week, he says this about the great dinner. He says, this parable is about hospitality. You remember hospitality, inviting friends for a casual supper or an impromptu barbecue, welcoming the new neighbors with a dessert or wine and cheese, uh, having a small gathering at your home, taking meals to fellow church members who are struggling or ill or going through a difficult time. But let's also remember that in this parable, Jesus is talking about welcoming strangers, down and out strangers. Now that's really interesting to think about hospitality at this particular time in history where we are afraid to go to each other's houses and have each other over out of fear that we'll catch the virus and perhaps spread it. But there is no substitute in life for being warm and kind. Angry, mean-spirited people do not understand Christianity. So many people are lonely right now. And it's simply just amazing how far kindness will get you in life. But with stress levels high and more people isolated, kindness and hospitality has been more challenging to find. Why? Well, we know why people are afraid. They keep to themselves. But the gospel has always been about radical hospitality and welcoming the stranger. It's about moving beyond self and loving your neighbor picking up the phone and simply checking in on people, that means more than you think. In fact, I challenge you this week, this first week of August, pick up the phone and call five people that you haven't talked to in a while and just let them know that you're thinking about them and that you care about them and ask them if there's anything that you can do for them. And here's what will happen when you do that. You'll feel great. They'll feel good because you reached out, but you too will feel good because you're caring for other people. 
That brings me to my final lesson from this parable, which is perhaps the most important lesson that we can learn right now in this context, in this community, in this world. This parable reminds us that Jesus is trying to lead us to a place where we can be around people who look and think and act differently from us, who have different worldviews, who have different skin color, who have different politics, who offer different perspectives. It's one of the things that I've always loved about the Christian church. I'm a fourth generation minister in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, and I love it because we're a hybrid. We're a melting pot of denominations and faith traditions and backgrounds. And this is not always easy. It's not always fun. We don't always agree. But friends, this is what our world needs right now, perhaps more than anything else. We need civility and we need dialogue. We need common ground. We need to respect each other's convictions. We need to open our minds to the fact that we will not always be right. And nobody has a monopoly on the truth. Jesus does, but none of us. A number of years ago, there was a guy named Bill Bishop who wrote a book that was called The Big Sort. The subtitle of the book was Why the Clustering of Like-Minded America is Tearing Us Apart. And Bishop talks about how in recent decades, American culture has clustered itself into like-minded homogenous groups. Liberals have done this, conservatives have done this, Republicans have done this, Democrats have done this. And what happens when we constantly surround ourselves with people who think and live the same way that we do is we never grow. We're never pushed or challenged. Not only that, but our, our positions become extreme, closed-minded, and community breaks down. Bishop says this, he says, as people seek out the social settings that they prefer, as they choose the group that makes them feel the most comfortable, the nation grows more politically segregated and the benefit that ought to come with having a variety of opinions is lost to the righteousness that is the special entitlement of homogenous groups. Think about that. He says, like-minded, Homogenous groups squelch dissent. They grow more extreme in their thinking and they ignore evidence that their positions could be wrong. And as a result, we now live in a giant feedback loop, hearing our own thoughts about what's right and wrong bounce back to us by television shows that we watch every night and the newspapers and the books that we read, the blogs that we visit, the sermons that we hear and the neighborhoods in which we live. And I think Bishop was on to something when he wrote this book about 12 years ago. Most of you know that I am a passionate moderate. And I believe with all my heart that the world needs more moderates 
whether it's a moderate left or moderate right, I think the world needs more moderates. I see this as the great 21st century challenge for America. And I think that includes the church and Christianity as well. How can we live in community with people who believe different things, who see the world differently, who have different backgrounds and experiences, and yet maintain respect and civil dialogue in the process? How can we agree to disagree and not demonize people who feel differently? Our culture seems to be failing at this experiment. I continue to believe that this church, Woodmont Christian Church, has a unique opportunity to lead the way on this. And I mean that, and I've believed that ever since I was called here. We have the unique opportunity to be a church where we are honest that we don't agree on everything, but we love each other, and we care for each other, and we respect each other, and we listen to each other. And I hope and pray that we're up for this challenge in 2020 and beyond. When Jesus tells the parable of the great dinner, he is telling us that the kingdom of God is a place where all the divisions that we think are so important, rich, poor, white, black, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, you name it, these things really don't matter as much as we think they do. What matters is that we show up, that we are kind, and that we learn to dialogue with and coexist with people who believe very different things from us, who see the world from a different perspective or point of view. Because friends, that's what our society needs right now. And I think Christ is challenging us to lead the way. Amen.